Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So much to do today here on the podcast. Now, of course, we'll find out who won the big contest last week. I talked to Brian Shields. He wrote uh, 30 Years of WrestleMania. Somebody has already won, and doesn't even know it, has already won a copy of the book, 30 Years of WrestleMania, along with a copy of WWE 2K15 uh, on either PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, and a copy of WrestleMania 30 on DVD. We'll get to that when we get to the state of wrestling. But first, speaking of WWE 2K15, that's out right now. You're very lucky that there's even a podcast today because, quite frankly, instead of talking to you, I should be on my couch uh, trying to further my career, Johnny Gumption's career, I should say. I've been playing a lot of WWE 2K15, um, and I've created a character named Johnny Gumption, hashtag Gumption. And he's climbing the ranks right now. He started in NXT. He defeated the superstars of WWE Superstars and has firmly planted a spot on the main event show. It's called Main Event. Uh, But WWE 2K15 is a blast. Uh, The career mode is so fun. Because it does. I mean, it actually starts, starts in the training center. And then it goes through NXT. And then you uh, you advance to superstars, then you advance to main event. I'm trying to get to SmackDown as Johnny Gumption. You have to create a character to play this thing. I only play video games maybe four weeks a year. I spend like two weeks playing a WWE game and then maybe two weeks playing a GTA game. And that's it. Right now, we're right in the mix of my two weeks of WWE games. Uh, so somebody's going to win that game. But with the help of the WWE... Survivor Series, by the way, this week. We'll talk about Survivor Series during the State of Wrestling. But with the help of WWE and with the help of 2K Games, uh, today's guest is Seth Rollins. Yep, Seth Rollins, WWE superstar, Mr. Money in the Bank, is today's guest. Now, I conducted this interview on Monday of this week. I had just been following Seth Rollins on Instagram and seeing that he'd been a part of the European tour that all the superstars from WWE were on. So I'm sitting there going, you know, am I going to call, am I calling this dude in Europe? He flew on Sunday night back from wherever he was in Europe to wherever they were for Monday Night Raw. Monday morning was awake talking to me on the phone. 12 hours, maybe, maybe after he landed from Europe, he was on the phone with me to talk to you. Then, after that, he went out and performed on, on, on Raw, which you saw on Monday, which we'll talk about during the State of Wrestling. But it's really impressive. Uh, Seth Rollins, back from Europe, here on the podcast. I wanted to get into a lot of stuff, and that's what I did. So without further ado, we'll get to State of Wrestling after we hear first from Mr. Money in the Bank, Seth Rollins. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast Interview. I saw on Instagram that you were at the uh, Romeo and Juliet house. Are you one of the guys? Because I think wrestlers are like comedians where there are two different types of people. Like some people just go to a town, stay in a hotel, 
and then go to the show and then other people to try to not make themselves go crazy go and see kind of what's going on wherever they are at are you like a sightseer type person or do you live in the hotels i try to get out and, and uh, see the sights and you know went to Juliet's house and uh you know try to get to the eiffel tower over here in paris and stuff like that and we're working on limited time but uh, i do what i can to try to uh try to you know get out and make 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 the most out of the time we do have when did you realize when you were wrestling when did you realize you were actually making an impact on a global level um i don't know uh <laughs> is the honest answer i don't know i and i still don't know if i fully grasp that uh concept i think that um you know, to, to you know, there are times when we're traveling. Uh, when, when I go see the, you know, a lot of times I go see those those monuments and uh, major things in the cities that you you mentioned, and uh, I feel I still feel very small in a global sense because yeah. uh, there's just so there's so many people and there's so many things all over the world, and it is really difficult to. Um, to grasp that uh, from a just in, in a mental standpoint, I think that people all over the world um, kind of um, what's the word they 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 you know they uh, they exist uh, you know on your you know life schedule I guess like they really pay attention to what you do and you make an impact you know from from Japan to China to South America to you know every town and, and country in the in the entire you know United States it's it's really hard to grasp that and uh, really fully understand you know what that means on a day-to-day basis i think the uh for me the biggest thing is like i'll walk into a gas station in like the middle of nowhere Tennessee uh-huh. and there's one person working at the counter and i don't even know if they have cable but they like know who i am so, <laughs> right like yeah. that's pretty that, that's pretty outrageous to me. Still, I, it's hard to like I said, it's really hard to wrap your head around uh, a how big the world is and b uh, how many people you reach as a WWE superstar. Because that's what yeah, that's what struck me too. Because I started thinking like you, you know, a WWE superstar or whatever it is that you do for a living, you're doing it night in night out. So it must be difficult to grasp that other people don't see it like you see it. Like you'll get caught up in your sort of day-to-day shit or whatever it is that's bothering you and not realize that that little thing that you just did made like this amazing amazing impact on somebody in germany or something yeah that's like i said that's that's hard to uh to grasp and the only way i can really kind of get my uh head around it is take myself back to what it was like when i was a very young you know boy watching professional wrestling and uh how much of an impact it made on me to uh, to see my role models and my heroes uh, on a weekly basis, you know, doing doing what they love to do. So um, it's just cool that I get that opportunity now uh, to travel the world, wrestle in front of crowds, you know, uh, that are bigger than I ever imagined, and you know, I get to reach people uh, on a, on a very personal basis. Uh, just you know, being a professional wrestler, that's pretty uh, pretty special, and and I don't think. Uh, I try not to take that for granted. I try to, you know, uh, accept and, and enjoy that responsibility. Who did you grow up watching? Like, who were the guys that did that for you? Um, I mean, Hogan was the first guy who really captivated me. Of course, I yeah. think uh, anybody who grew up in the early '90s—that's uh, that's you know how it goes for them. And then um, I really liked uh, just you know uh, 
Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, um, guys of that nature, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, I grew into, you know, really appreciating that sort of style of wrestling. And then even as a teenager, I was a fan of, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and Low Key and Samoa Joe and uh, Homicide and, and the, the early internet stars of professional wrestling. You know, even even guys like The Amazing Red and Rick Blade and stuff like that. So um, it's... Uh, I have a lot of influences kind of from all over the place. What's it like to exist in a locker room? Because the generation now, like, you know, the, the, your generation are the guys that we all grew up watching as teenagers the Attitude Era was on. And you still have some guys from the Attitude Era that are part of the company. You know, Jericho's there uh, from time to time as well. You know, Big Show and Mark Henry and Kane and all these guys. What kind of – do you just have to – do you immediately – get out of your headspace that these are the guys that I watched when I was a teenager and now I'm either teaming with them or, or I'm sharing a locker room with them or what have you? Does that does that occur to you at all or do you just step away from it? Uh no, I think you I think, you know, you get we like you said, we do this so much, I think you get lost in it sometimes, you forget. But, you know, it's um it's real easy to take a step back and, and when you're in the ring and you know, you hear Kane's music and he comes out and then you're standing in the ring with Kane. It's real easy to uh get sucked right back into oh man, that's that's a you know, a big red machine. That's Kane. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, that's the Undertaker's brother. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that sort of stuff. So like um uh, for me, the, I, I try to take those moments uh for what they are because it's still pretty cool to, you know, be able to you know work with guys who you idolize growing up. That's uh, that's not something that a lot of people get the opportunity to do again. And uh, you gotta you gotta really soak that up a little bit because it's awesome to have the opportunity to work with them, but also to have gained their respect as a performer is pretty incredible too. You know that's uh, that's on another level. That's something you you couldn't even have dreamed of really when you were growing up. Yeah, and I would imagine, but when you're doing it, I would imagine it's probably pretty easy to lose sight of it it seems like it's one of those things where because you're performing on the highest level you can possibly perform that's not really the zone you're in but maybe when you step outside the ring you're like wow wait did I just have a match with the same cane that broke the door off the hell in a cell in 97 yeah it's uh it's definitely one of those things where you you uh you know, sometimes it happens when you're just driving from town to town and you have a moment to kind of sit back and reflect because while you're in there, while you're in the moment, you certainly, you're just in it. It's hard to, uh, you know, smell the roses per right. se. It's just, you just got to, you know, you're, you're in it and you're doing it. And when you when you get back and you're on your own and you have some time to reflect, uh, it's, it's pretty cool to, to, you know, say stuff and think stuff like that on your own. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely awesome. So when you uh, came onto the main roster, obviously you were a part of the Shield, which was, I mean, it's hard to think of many factions that have had as big of an impact as quickly as you guys did. Um, do you think that was because of smart booking? Do you think everything, it was timing, everything clicking at the same time? Do you think it was because you three guys together were different than anybody else? Uh, what do you kind of credit that to? Um, I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with uh, all those things, to be honest with you. You know, um, we uh, we were put in a position to succeed, for sure. Um, but that can that's a lot of people are put in positions to succeed. It doesn't always pan out. So there comes a point when you got to deliver, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, if you get the ball 
and uh, you drop the ball or you're not successful in your attempt, then they're going to give the ball to somebody else. And it was on us to uh, perform every time we were out there. And uh, that was something that we took pride in, especially, um, you know, having the background that I had, uh, Ambrose too, I think. Um, you know, we really we relished the opportunity to uh, take on the top guys in WWE right off the get-go. You know, there was a confidence that all three of us had that uh, was exuded on screen, I think. People figured that out pretty quick. And uh, it was something that we had backstage as well. And it really uh, helped us step our game up on a night-to-night basis. And not only that, it pushed everybody else's level. You know, they realized that uh, there were three guys in here who were super hungry and were going to do whatever it took to succeed and had the ability to make that success a reality. And so they all had to step their games up as well, try to compete with that. And uh, it created a pretty a pretty awesome, you know, year and a half of uh, of – of matches and moments and stuff like that, that uh, it's going to go down uh, in history. It's kind of the, the start of an era, I would, I would think. I like to think anyway. Yeah. How did the rest of the locker room take to you guys coming in, not only so confident, but with the sort of unapologetic, we're here to steal the show attitude? Did, did that rub people the wrong way, or did, did they appreciate the hunger? Oh, it certainly rubbed people the wrong way, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, you uh, – it makes you uncomfortable, you know what I mean? It, it puts people uh, on the spot, and uh, people, they don't like that. So um, I think that over time, when you do steal the show night in and night out, when you are uh, you know, doing all the things you said you were going to do, you start to earn people's respect, and uh, they start to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. So uh, over time, it was one of those things where people became – you know, the, the guys who were haters, the guys who didn't appreciate our attitude kind of jumped on board and uh, wanted to be a part of the movement. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was either it was either that or you were going to get lost in the shuffle because uh, there was absolutely nobody who was going to outwork us on a day-to-day basis, and we made sure of that. Yeah, I guess, it's, I guess it's easy to be mad at a young, confident kid until they start actually delivering on what they say they're going to do. Then you realize, maybe I should just join this thing instead of trying to fight against it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it might be much easier to, uh, to to hop on and get run over, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, so I think that's kind of the way it works. How do you maintain the motivation to keep that up? You know, like, you'd think it's just human nature that now that you've been there for a couple years, it's kind of human nature that you have uh, some, you could get jaded. You could say, okay, well, I've accomplished this month much. I can take it a little easy here. How do you maintain motivation to continuously years now try to steal the show like that um well i mean if that's human nature then maybe i'm not human i don't know (laughs) because to me that sounds like complacency and that's not something i've ever been good at Mm -hmm. uh in in wrestling or in life and so uh i just i always you know and maybe um to a fault for me it's always been the grass is always greener and i'm always looking at what's next and uh how i can improve on something uh you know part of my life uh, and like I said, it could be to a fault, and you know, I'm sure that philosophy has gotten me in trouble many times in my life, but it's also uh, put me in a position to succeed and um, you know, get the opportunity to live out my dreams. So, uh, I mean, it's pretty simple, man. It's just always more to accomplish. And, uh, and, if, and if, you know, I think that's kind of what separates, uh, separates people is, uh, is that complacency, is that level of, um, is, of 
of, of work is, you know, some people will say, oh, well, I've done all there is to do. You know, I guess I can hang out and uh, kind of chill. And then some people will say they'll create goals where there are none. You know, they'll create uh, obstacles when there aren't any. So uh, I think that that's the separation between uh, the two types of people. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people, too, don't realize how mentally draining it is to set goals and achieve them and keep moving and moving and moving. And I think a lot of people, when they realize, okay, I've achieved this one thing, they don't want to continue to work mentally as hard as, as they would have to to keep doing that. Yeah, it is mentally. Uh, it's emotionally draining for yeah. sure. It, uh, it puts you in a weird position where um, uh, everything becomes um, slow in real life in a way. It's like uh, it's like that analogy in Fight Club. I think I like uh, you know everything kind of slows down after you've been in a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, like uh, that's how it is. Like real life becomes not monotonous, but like you know we we exist on this adrenaline high from from night to night, from day to day. And uh, when when we've achieved a goal or we've you know done something that um, that we that you know. I, I, yeah, I guess that we, we, we've achieved a goal or, you know, done something that we've set our, our minds to. It, it is, it can be difficult to reset and uh, start over and find something new to strive for. So, um, but that's just the nature of my personality anyway. It's just kind of how I've always been. Um, and I don't foresee myself changing. I hope maybe when I'm an old man, I can figure out how to, you know, stop working. Chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be ideal. Um, but, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I think you're right about that because I think, especially like in the world that you live in, not only is it this adrenaline rush, but there's always opportunity to be doing something. If you want to try something, if you want to, if you want to uh, make a turn this way, if you want to, there's always an opportunity to bring yourself up, and that doesn't really exist in the real world. When you step away from from being in the ring, you don't those opportunity. You don't have opportunities like that just every night to to wow an audience or to or to sell somebody else on how good you are or whatever the goal is yeah it's uh it's an interesting dynamic uh i think it's important though um to have the ability to decompress and to step away from the lifestyle mm-hmm. because it, it, it can become an addiction in a bad way yeah um it can become something that really didn't really turns you off from real life because as much as this is a lifestyle it's not 20, it's not 24-7. As much as it, it can feel like it is all the time, you know, uh, life with a family and friends is different than what we do here. So uh, I think it's important to be able to separate the two. And, and uh, you know, guys who aren't able to do that, I feel like are the ones that kind of struggle moving forward uh, after they're done wrestling. And I, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I want to be able to, uh, you know, I like to decompress. I enjoy to step away and have some time, you know, with, with my girl and, and my family and friends and stuff like that. So um, I think that's important. I think, you know, having that separation and understanding how to do that is, is crucial to, uh, you know, maintaining long-term, long-term happiness uh, personally uh, and success personally as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right because I think, yeah, like the, when you, when you, if you don't know how to get high off of, just regular life with your family and, and people. If you don't know how to enjoy people, long term you're going to be miserable. Did you? Where'd you learn these philosophies from? Like, is this something that you've put together over the last couple of years? Is it working the indies? Did it become obvious because of the people you interacted with? 
Um, I, I think uh, just uh, kind of an observe and report type thing. I, I just took note uh, of how different guys were when I interacted with them uh, over the years, guys who had spent time doing this for a long period of time, and I, and I kind of noted which ones uh, seemed to be happier and more successful over the long term. And, uh, you know, by, um, I guess by subtraction, I figured out what, what was the key ingredient that, that seemed to work for them. And I tried to replicate that in my own life. Um, and, and too, I grew up in a really small town, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. and I still live in a pretty, you know, smallish sized community. So, um, for me, it, it was never, uh, that's just what was my, those were the values that were instilled in me. You know, my parents were both hardworking, uh, nine to fivers and they kind of, you know, it was never about, uh, Life was never about how much money you could make or, you know, uh, how many things you could amass or anything like that. It was just about, um, you know, how you treated people and your personal happiness and the happiness of those around you. That's kind of stuff that mattered. So uh, I think as far as instilling values, like, that's kind of where that came from. You know, my parents and grandparents and and, uh, family and friends that I was surrounded by from an early age. You train like an animal. That's been uh, that's made clear on Instagram specifically uh, when you post like photos and videos and stuff like that. But first of all, have you all? It's it's sort of non-traditional. Um, it's not like you know traditional weight training as much as it is uh, grabbing whatever's around and, and using your body resistance and all that stuff. Um, number one, is that how you've always trained? And number two, do you have constant workout headaches? Because I swear to you, I go to the gym once a week. And it takes me out for 12 hours doing two miles on the treadmill. <laughs> well, that's your first problem. You're on a treadmill. Uh, no, I uh, I haven't always uh, trained like this. Uh, for me, uh, CrossFit, which is uh, my methodology of training, is uh, something that I found about four years ago. Uh, I was doing kind of like bodybuilding style stuff before that mixed mm-hmm. with uh, some cardiovascular circuit training a little bit but like I didn't really know what I was doing uh, I hadn't really studied any methodologies I just read some books and magazines and kind of you know picked up what I could here and there um, and then I found CrossFit uh, through a buddy who was um, looking for I was looking for a, a way to increase my uh metabolic output my cardio capacity and uh he turned me on to crossfit and i was basically hooked and i kind of got i dug deep into uh into what the the thought process is behind training like that and uh it was something that really worked for me it really mimicked the way i felt in a wrestling ring and uh it has improved my overall health i think uh in a general sense um i'm stronger i'm faster i feel like i look better than i ever have and uh, I have more fun in the gym as well. So uh, for me, it's uh, I, I love it. You know, I train like an animal is right, but I also don't – I can never go back. Like I'll never go back to just going to the gym and doing three sets of ten, uh, you know, peck, 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 deck flies. Like I can't, I can't go there anymore. So um, for me, it's, uh, it's a blast, man. So I don't see myself ever, ever, ever training any other way. Uh, let me ask you about your Hell in a Cell match with Ambrose. Uh, number one – were you happy with the way it came out? And number two, one of the things that came up, uh, was it difficult to tell that story without blood? Um, I was really happy with the match, um, to be honest with you. I, I really I loved it. Um, I thought it was uh, – it came about sort of unexpectedly, uh, the Hell in a Cell match. I didn't uh, think that we were going to go back there after um, – 
SummerSlam mm-hmm. uh, and the night after. But, uh, you know, the opportunity presented itself, and uh, we were able to really capitalize on that opportunity as we have all of our opportunities in the past. Um, and I, I don't think it was that terribly difficult. Sometimes it's frustrating uh, for guys in our era who, you know, saw – the, the, the other Hell in a Cell matches that preceded us and uh, how much, in our opinion, maybe the blood added to the match and stuff like that. But uh, one thing that's great is we've, ha- we've gone without it for so long that a good portion of our audience doesn't know the difference. Um, and so for us, it, it, so for us it, it, if you just don't focus on it and you don't think about it that way, you're going to be able to relate to a, a larger portion of our audience, especially the younger kids and stuff like that, who don't know the difference. They don't know uh, what that was used for back in the day. Um, and so it was just a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we did what we could, uh, and I thought we absolutely made the most out of uh, Hell in a Cell in uh, what people have called the PG era over the years now. Speaking of pay-per-views, of course, uh, Survivor Series is on Sunday. Uh, you got a lot going on right now because you're just back in the States. Survivor Series is on Sunday, and uh, 2K15 is out on Tuesday for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Have you played 2K15? Are you a video game guy? Yeah, I am a video game guy. I played uh, a little demo version of it a couple months back at uh, GameStop Expo. Uh, completely blown away, as I am every time we do a, a new game on a, on a new uh, you know system. Uh, it's just incredible, the, the, uh, the advances this year graphically and with the gameplay additions and like the new you know modes i mean they have nxt in the game for crying out loud like Sami Zayn is a character yeah, you, as a guy who went through as a guy who went through the nxt system do you wish that you had everything that those guys have now like when you were in nxt you had you know it was, it was kind of the 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 very beginning of nxt as we know it now but now they have you know the appearances in 2k15 they're getting action figures they're getting you know showcases on the main roster here and there oh yeah i mean they uh we uh (laughs) we we didn't i don't know if i wish that i had it it's certainly one of those things where it's like oh these guys got it easy you know what i mean or they they have a lot of advantages we certainly didn't have nxt was not a brand when i was down there it wasn't what it is now you know right um but but uh I, i wouldn't trade the way i you know, got to where I am for anything. I'm really proud of it. Uh, you know, NXT, the independence, it was all great for me. It, it, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe in fate or anything like that. But I, I'm certainly grateful for the opportunities that I had to, that have molded me into the, you know, person and performer I am. I think that's, uh, that's all crucial. I wouldn't be the same guy if I didn't, ha- didn't come up the way I did. Well, I definitely recommend everybody picking up 2K15. Now that it's out for all consoles, the next generation ones are maybe the best wrestling games that have ever uh, ever come out. And of course, Survivor Series is on Sunday. Real quick, Seth, before you go, are you okay with the fact that uh, the WWE title is not being defended at Survivor Series? Um, I mean, I'm okay with it. Uh, I, I don't have any other choice, really. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing, you know, uh-huh. not having the champ around on a, on a regular basis, but. Um, you know, that's how uh, he wants to conduct himself, so that's fine with me. Uh, his time will come, and uh, I've always got that money in the bank briefcase waiting in the wings. So, um, like I said, we'll see what happens uh, here moving into the future. It's, uh, it's, uh, he, can't, he can't run and hide forever. And you're in the main event anyway for Survivor Series, so it's all good exactly. for you. Exactly. It's all good. Exactly. All right, Seth, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Here is Sam Roberts. That was fun. 
Big, big, big thanks to Seth Rollins for being a part of the podcast. He was a great guest. I think he was trying to say bro and then dude at the very end of the interview. So if you rewind back real quick, I think he said brew. But either way, I don't care what Seth Rollins calls me. As long as he does so on this podcast, I'm good with it. Uh, uh, Speaking of interviews, if you missed it, if you want to see it for yourself, uh, a couple weeks ago, Chris Jericho was my guest here on the podcast. We talked about in the interview the little closet studio that I was conducting the interview in. It was far from ideal and not exactly uh, the magnitude of Hollywood and show business that Chris Jericho is used to. If you want to see it for yourself, I've uploaded the entire interview onto YouTube. If you go to youtube.com slash notsam, you can watch the Chris Jericho interview that was part of this podcast two weeks ago. Although, if you didn't hear that podcast two weeks ago, I would recommend going on to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast service that you use. I don't know. You could get the RSS feed directly from NotSam.com and going back and finding that podcast and listening to it from start to finish, then watching the video. Paint the picture yourself and see if you are accurate. It's a little game that you can play now. This is why it's so important to listen to these podcasts as soon as they come out every Wednesday morning. First thing, you wake up, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is there for you because sometimes I give stuff away for free. It's what we do here on the podcast now. Last week, Brian Shields supplied it. It was a copy of his book, 30 Years of WrestleMania, which, by the way, if you didn't hear that interview, go back and listen to the podcast. It was a copy of WrestleMania 30 on DVD and... The new, brand new video game, which I highly recommend, WWE 2K15, either for Xbox One or PlayStation 4. It's amazing on these next-gen consoles. I said the way to win that whole prize package was to write a question to me that I could answer this week on the state of wrestling. Without further ado, why don't we find out who won with this week's A State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Thank you, Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel, one of the many things that makes this wrestling podcast different from all else. Number one, we have Howard Finkel. Number two, we do the interview first, so if you don't want to listen to all this nonsense, you can skip it. And number three, I actually enjoy wrestling. The reason we're doing this, the reason we, well, I guess you're, you're present too, right? You, the listener, you and I make we. The reason we do this is because I am a fan of wrestling. I like wrestling. I like WWE. I like what's on TV. So that's what I talk about. I don't bash it because, not because I'm a shill, not because for any other reason than there's no reason to. I like it. Now, I told you. By the way, I have a huge giveaway courtesy of 2K Games today. All right? You, if you, I I picked one question For this week's State of Wrestling, if your question wasn't the one that I picked, do not fret because I have a major giveaway with several winners for next week. So I'll get to that in a second. The winner of the Brian Shields prize pack is at Andy underscore Lamelli on Twitter. Andy Lamelli, congratulations. Here's your question. If Alundra Blaze doesn't throw the title in the trash... Does the Montreal screw job still happen? Hashtag Sam Roberts has a wrestling podcast. Well, Andy, of course, what you're talking about is the night is, is the the beginning, the beginning months, I would say, of the Monday Night War 
Uh, Alundra Blaze left the WWE. She was the WWE Women's Champion. And she returned to WCW as Medusa with her, the WWE Women's Championship. She still had the title belt. And she walked onto television and she threw the championship belt in the garbage. It destroyed the women's division. It was years. It was years before the WWE brought back the Divas and reinvented their division. They were, they were traumatized by the fact that they felt that Alundra Blaze became Medusa and, and devalued that division by, by taking the championship and throwing it in the garbage. Um, now, do I think that the Montreal Screwjob still would have happened? Absolutely. Here's why. The Montreal Screwjob, of course, was when uh, uh, Vince McMahon... Out, he became this character, but he didn't wisen up Bret Hart to what was going on. Uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels wrestled at Survivor Series 97. Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart in a sharpshooter. Bret Hart had not agreed to lose his championship, the WWE World Championship, to Shawn Michaels. However, it was his last match in the company as he was going to WCW. Vince McMahon had the match stopped acted as if Bret Hart had submitted to the sharpshooter. He did not smarten up Bret Hart to the fact that they were going to do this. Thus, then, Shawn Michaels gets the title. Vince McMahon looks like an a-hole, and Bret Hart is left feeling silly. He's embarrassed because his whole—he's made to look like a fool in the middle of the ring, and it traumatized that man for a long time, as it would anyone. Now, I understand what you're saying. You're saying this is a world of storyline. Things like this happen. The titles don't really mean— it's not a Super Bowl championship, okay? It's not a it's not a, a a one championship. It's scripted, yeah. But if you're not informed of what's going on in the script when it's happening, it kind of it kills a lot of uh, a lot of momentum for your career. If you are are are, it's a it's a it's a bad thing to do. I don't think anybody would feel good about it at the end of the day. But I think it would have happened regardless. I mean. You can go back. Don't worry about Alundra Blaze Medusa. Think about 1991 when Ric Flair came to WWE. What did he have with him? The NWA WCW Championship belt. He called himself the real world champion, right? Because he had the belt with him. However, all they did on television was talk about how the belt meant nothing, how it wasn't a real championship. Gorilla Monsoon used to make fun of Bobby the Brain Heenan's hands, saying that they were turning green. From holding the championship belt, I think that regardless, even if that hadn't happened, just the idea, the idea that a champion could take their championship belt from one company and go on to the competing company's television and besmirch that company is enough for something like the Montreal Screwjob to happen. It doesn't need a precedent set. It's something that you know um, is a possibility. So, yeah. I don't think Alundra Blaze Medusa had anything to do with the Montreal Screwjob. Now, uh, there's a whole bunch of other questions. Hopefully, I will get to them. I had some observations about uh, Monday Night Raw this week. I'll get to that in a minute. But first, let me talk about 2K15. It's the new game. Everybody's talking about it. It's out in stores right now. Here's the deal. I've played, I didn't get to play 2K15 for uh, the later or the previous generation consoles, PS3 or Xbox 360. But I've been playing... 2K15 for like three days now on PS4, and I love it because it feels like, you know how WWE is in a transitional process right now? Like, you know how we're seeing all these guys in the ring right now that you know are going to be future 
huge stars, your Bray Wyatt, your Dean Ambrose's, your Seth Rollins's, is, is, is everybody. Like every, half the roster, three quarters of the roster has the potential to just be incredible. Well, I feel like that same transitional period is happening in wrestling games. The game 2K15 feels like it's been completely re-engineered. It doesn't feel like, you know how usually with wrestling games, it feels like, you know, a fresh coat of paint was plastered over the old one, and it's good. You know, you're still enjoying it. It's like, okay, it's a little brighter. Oh, now my favorite guys are in it, but it still feels like the same game. This one actually feels like a new game. Uh, the, you know, I talked a little about the career mode. The career mode is so different and uh, in-depth and fun. Going through the training center, going through the NXT arena, uh, getting to do stuff on that end. Uh, it's hilarious. I got the You can download Hulk Hogan if you have the Hulkamania package. And I would love to know what his merchandising deal is because it's the 2010, I guess, version of Hulk Hogan. It's the long tie-dye tights. It's the comeback. I don't know if it was actually 2010. I'm bad with dates. But it's the most recent WWE wrestling version of Hulk Hogan, uh, post-NWO Hulk Hogan. And he's got almost all his hair still on his head. You'd think it was 1982 looking at him. It's hilarious. Uh, beyond that, it's very accurate. His body looks good. He's giant. I had him wrestling Justin Gabriel on Raw. Hogan won. Don't worry. Hogan won. But, yeah, a bunch of the NXT guys are in it too. Corey Graves, Sami Zayn. One of the cool things, I got to go down and try the game out uh, in a demo mode uh, about a month ago down at the Performance Center, and Sami Zayn was there. And I was playing as Sami Zayn. It was the first time Sami had seen his character played in the game. Unfortunately, uh, I was him which meant I was going to lose because I'm terrible at games. The computer was beating me. But he was saying that like it was so accurate that they got his cell, as he called it. I don't even know wrestlers said, that's my cell. Like when they, when, they, when, they, when they hit, are hit, and they respond to it, that's their cell. He goes, 2K got my cell. They got everything. That's my hit. That's my clothesline. So it was great seeing it with him and knowing how accurate it is. But I would absolutely recommend picking it up. It feels like it's the next thing. It feels like it's evolved. It's not just uh, 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 a fresh coat of paint. It's a whole new engine. The chain wrestling system, I'm just now starting to get the hang of it. That's, it took me about two days to figure out the controls and actually get good, but once I did, it was, it was great, and I, I recommend the game. Now, let me get to what happened on Raw, specifically Cesaro. Cesaro is what I wanted to talk about. Here is what's going on with Cesaro. Of course, everybody wants to see Cesaro win matches. Cesaro is everybody's favorite right now. But I think that they are doing Cesaro a great service. Number one, I think it's important to build up Ryback. I think it's about time. I think it's a little weird that we have to kind of ignore the fact that he spent a long time losing matches and that he was somebody that we didn't pay attention to. But now that he's being displayed as this monster, the crowd has gotten behind him immediately again. It was, it was like the first time that his run started. You remember when he first showed up in WWE real quickly, the audience got behind him and started chanting, feed me more. You heard During that final segment on Raw on Monday, you heard the audience chanting, feed me more, before his music even hit. Okay, they are firmly behind this guy, and that's rare in this day and age. 
for the WWE to decide that somebody is a major fan favorite and for the audience to actually agree with them right away is, is a rare thing. It doesn't happen all that often. So I, I think I think Ryback is very valuable. Number he's, he's he's he looks amazing. He actually can talk. Now big guys like that usually aren't that great at talking. Ryback actually can talk. He's super athletic. You saw him in his match with Cesaro. He can work a great match, and he's believable. I think I think Ryback is uh, is great. I think that he makes a great opponent for John Cena. He makes a great partner for John Cena. He makes he's perfect. I mean, can you imagine a Ryback-Seth Rollins feud? Okay, Ryback being this sort of good monster trying to, to, to win power, win the title, win whatever's on the line from the authority, and Seth Rollins being his, his weaselly self that he plays to perfection. I think it's got a lot of potential. I think Ryback is great in the position he's in. And Cesaro is in a good place as well, and I'll tell you why. People are tired of seeing Cesaro lose, and I understand that, but... Cesaro is not being made to look bad on television. There's a big difference. Wins and losses don't necessarily matter, I think, as much as people think that they do. Cesaro got a 15-minute or so match against Ryback on Raw. And he got to, he got to prove—I mean, it was, it was probably the match of the night. Almost inarguably, it was the match of the night. It was it was incredible. Cesaro got to do everything that he's done. He got he made more fans every time Cesaro gets in the ring. He makes fans, and unless and the and the fact is he's being given the opportunity to do that. Do you know he's being given he's he's being given time in the ring. He's being given freedom to wrestle the way he wants to wrestle. He's he's being given. Uh, uh, opportunities to perform the moves that he wants to perform. It's not like it was this one-sided thing where Ryback just beat on Cesaro for 15 minutes. It was back and forth. It was Cesaro as strong as they're trying to make Ryback look. They allowed Cesaro the opportunity to look almost, if not just as, arguably even more strong than Ryback. They're pushing Ryback as this powerhouse animal, and they allowed him for a few, several moments in that match to look weak against the strength of Cesaro. There was a time when Cesaro, who's a tall guy and who's just cut and jacked, he's, he's not Ryback. He's not rippling. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't look like a monster. He just looks like maybe the most in-shape guy you'll ever meet in your life. Ryback looks like a monster, and there was a time when that monster would plow through anyone who even appeared to be human. Cesaro appears to be human, but he's given the opportunity to wrestle in such a way where he reminds you that he's anything but human. He's, an, he's, 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 he's a cyborg, this guy, uh, and I think that he's being served well being given the type of matches that he's being given on Raw. Is he winning? No, usually not. But he's making it clear that for him to start winning matches would not be a stretch. He's not just sitting there getting beaten up and going back to the locker room. He's putting on a show that would have you believe that in the future, if he were to start winning matches, uh, it would not be a stretch. And that's important. That's super important. And he's being acknowledged. You saw him come out during the last segment. He's being acknowledged 
as a guy who the the authority on screen is acknowledging that this is a guy who the fans would like to see in the main event. However, we're faking you out. The reason we had Cesaro come out was because John Cena and the fans got their hopes up. And the reason the fans and John Cena got their hopes up is because Cesaro is one of the best superstars on the show right now. And all that is acknowledged in the segments that we saw. You know, you have to look a little deeper. Anybody who's upset about Cesaro losing matches should be looking a little deeper into how he's being shown on television. Because every time, for the most part, that Cesaro is shown on television, he's shown in a very impressive way. And that's important. And it's not to be taken for granted. The other thing, before we get into Survivor Series, about Raw. All right. We saw Grumpy Cat. I read a lot of wrestling fans that were upset that Grumpy Cat was going to be a part of uh, WWE Raw at all. Relax on hating the guest hosts and the guests and the celebrities and all this stuff. It's not a bad thing. It never get. It, it very rarely, I should say, gets in the way of any real storylines. Grumpy Cat took up what? A grand total of six and a half minutes, maybe, total? Grumpy Cat got three segments, maybe six to seven minutes total on Raw on Monday. It didn't, the show's three hours long. You can give Grumpy Cat six or seven minutes if it means some added publicity for WWE. Larry the Cable Guy, perfect example. Give him a few minutes on the show. If he does something weird and SportsCenter or TMZ or Access Hollywood or any of those shows picks it up, it becomes worth it. Now, if you're giving Grumpy Cat and Larry the Cable Guy an hour and a half of the show, that's a bit much. But to give him a few minutes to try to bleed a little publicity out of them is not a, it's, it's not a bad thing at all. It's good for the show. It's something that we should celebrate the way they're doing it. They're not do, doing it overkill. I mean, do you remember that NeNe Leakes was a guest on Raw a few weeks ago? You don't, do you? You know why? Because they're not putting these guests in segments that are so important that they're taking away from the show. They're just little added things. It's little sprinkles on top. You don't like sprinkles? You could brush them off. It's still ice cream. You know what I mean? We throw a little chocolate sprinkles on there. Oh, you don't like chocolate? Okay. Brush them off. Move on. Fast forward through it on the DVR if you want to. Go make yourself a sandwich and it'll be all over. And you can get back to the show that you're tuning in for. So I, I, I just don't think it's anything that's worth complaining about. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Survivor Series uh, and what's going on. Not a lot of matches announced for this year's Survivor Series so far. Survivor Series has always been one of my favorite pay-per-views only because of everything that's happened there. It's not even just the Survivor Series concept. Of course, growing up, I, like many of you, loved the traditional Survivor Series matches because you'd end up with teams that you never thought you would see. You know, when you, you'd group, because it, it would just be, especially like in the early 90s, it would just be groups of bad guys versus groups of good guys. So you'd end up with like Ric Flair and, 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 and the model Rick Martel and, and, and whatever group of bad guys he had with against Roddy Piper and Virgil and the British Bulldog and all these guys kind of interacting with each other, especially in that era, it wasn't really happening. You know, you're talking about a time when most of TV was 
a mid-card guy versus a jobber, a mid-card guy versus a jobber, a mid-card guy versus a jobber, and a special interview with a main event guy. And that was TV. So when you got to see eight mid-card, main event level superstars all in the ring, all at one time, interacting with each other in ways that they normally wouldn't, it was always super exciting. I even liked the 92 Survivor Series when they kind of abandoned. That was the first uh, pay-per-view, Survivor Series pay-per-view, where the Survivor Series match became not the selling point. You know, 91, they experimented by putting the Hulk Hogan Undertaker world title match, which I thought was, I, 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 that was great. I was, what, seven, eight years old, probably eight at Survivor Series 91, and seeing The Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan for the WWE Championship, that reminded me that anything is possible. That was the magic of wrestling. Then flash forward a year, I enjoyed Survivor Series 92 as a kid. I enjoyed a nightstick match and a coffin match and and Mr. Perfect coming back. And they had one Survivor Series match in there. And and, and the head shrinkers and Afa was eating uh, turkey legs at ringside. I thought it was great. And then they went back to traditional Survivor Series matches. I've always liked the Survivor Series. It's been a little less exciting in recent years as it's kind of meant less and less, sort of. Only in the sense that it's become a more traditional pay-per-view. I mean, you still get moments. You know, don't forget, you had the Rock's big comeback match. Not at a WrestleMania, but at Survivor Series when he teamed with John Cena against The Miz and R-Truth. Which is, like, mind-blowing to think that The Miz and R-Truth were that big of a tag team, but in that moment, R-Truth was a big main event heel for a second. Um, I like that this pay-per-view, and I'll tell you why Survivor Series works for this moment. It's a little complicated not having Brock Lesnar on the shows. I talked to Seth Rollins about it in the interview. He said, yeah, it's weird that there's not the WWE champion on TV, and he probably has his reservations about that. We all grew up watching at the same time when, when the champion was always on TV. I don't mind so much that Brock Lesnar is not on TV. Uh, I at this moment I don't because I I think it I don't think the shows have suffered. When the shows are suffered, I still feel like the main events are main event worthy. I didn't feel like Hell in a Cell was lacking a main event. I don't feel like Survivor Series on paper is lacking a main event. I think that's the difference. If you can build up pay per views to the point that the matches mean as much as they can possibly mean, then maybe you don't need to have the champion at every show. The whole time CM Punk was the WWE champion, maybe not the whole time, but a good portion of the time, the WWE championship match at pay-per-views were not the main events. It, it, It wasn't. You'd have... CM Punk wrestling somebody, defending his championship, and then in the main event, John Cena was wrestling somebody. And what Brock Lesnar taking the title and being off TV does is it ensures that that championship is as high in the main event scene as anything can be. Look at WrestleMania. Mm, last year. Not, not, not WrestleMania 29 and 28. The big matches on the show featured The Rock, and it wasn't about the championship. It was about the returning Rock. It was about the fact that you have to watch WrestleMania because The Rock does not wrestle every day. 
You know, when, it, when, it, when CM Punk defended the championship against Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 28, it was an amazing match, and it was an important match. And storyline-wise, and moving forward, it was probably a more important match. But, but all around, in terms of why you're watching the show and in terms of WWE history, the most important match on the card at WrestleMania 28 was John Cena versus The Rock. Right? Right. So, Brock Lesnar being off TV makes him more of an attraction. The fact that he's not on every pay-per-view means that when he is on a pay-per-view, when he is on an episode of Raw, when he does an interview on WWE.com, everything that he does becomes must-see. Now, if you have the WWE Championship on, say, say Seth Rollins, what you do is you make it so that when Brock Lesnar returns, he's now a bigger deal than the WWE champion. And that, I think, is more harmful to the title than the champion being off TV. I think if you have a superstar that is bigger than the champion, then that's problematic in terms of the title. And nobody in that company right now is bigger than Brock Lesnar, and that's because you don't see him. Maybe The Undertaker is bigger than Brock Lesnar, but that's only because we don't know if The Undertaker is ever coming back. Brock Lesnar, we know, is going to come back. We don't know when or if The Undertaker is ever coming back. But you could say The Undertaker is bigger than Brock Lesnar because he's got this legend about him. Brock Lesnar beat him. So that problem is taken care of. I think that Brock Lesnar keeping the WWE Championship off TV heightens not decreases, but heightens the value of that WWE championship. Because now, the most intriguing, the most must-see, the biggest main event caliber superstar in WWE is the WWE champion. And that's what that title is supposed to mean, right? Once you're WWE champion, there should be nobody on that roster that's a bigger deal than you. And there is nobody on the roster that's a bigger deal than Brock Lesnar. And when Brock Lesnar finally does lose the WWE title, it's going to mean that much more to whoever wins it. It, it, it. When Brock Lesnar loses that title, the person who wins it will probably be looked at as somebody who truly deserves to be called champion, whether that's John Cena, whether that's somebody else. It, it, this is making the WWE Championship more valuable because it's, 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 it's increasing the demand. You're decreasing supply, and what that's doing is increasing demand. And whether Brock Lesnar is back at TLC or Royal Rumble or whenever he's back, it is going to be a can't-miss match because there, you can't guarantee when he'll be back on TV. In the meantime... Survivor Series is a show that's worth watching. It doesn't feel like a second-tier show. It feels like a main, it feels like a pay-per-view, one of the big pay-per-views of the year. It feels like something people should be watching. Okay, so what have they announced so far? The Tag Team Championship uh, match. We were talking a couple weeks ago about uh, the tag team scene being a little weak. The Matadors are back. 
Mizdow and Sandow are now a tag team. So they filled it out a little bit, but what they're doing at Survivor Series, they're taking every single team that they have and putting them all in one match, which, again, I mean, it's exciting because you get to see all these guys, but it means that we've seen them all interact with each other now. There's only there's four teams. How many possible matches can you have? If you're going to throw them all together, you're leaving us with nothing that we haven't seen before. However, tag team championship on the line. It's a four-way match. It's a Miz and Mizdal versus, of course, the tag team champions Goldust and Stardust versus Los Matadors versus the Usos. So, I mean, it's going to be a great match. It's always a great match. Uh, but, you know, I did, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they're building out more teams as we speak, but definitely need some depth in the tag team division. AJ and Nikki Bella for the Divas Championship. Love the Bellas. Love the Bellas. Um, I'd love to see Nikki Bella win. I think she'd be a great Divas champion. I think she's a great heel. Um, I think she's her wrestling has been improving and improving and improving. It's really incredible how much work she's done. Uh, and I think she deserves to be there. I think. I mean, AJ's obviously always great, so uh, I only have good expectations for that match. Bray Wyatt versus Dean Ambrose. This is a match that I feel like maybe hasn't gotten the TV time that it's needed to build. Okay, so we saw Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose. We saw this feud begin at Hell in a Cell when the Mystic Lantern appeared in the middle of the ring with a hologram popping out of it. And, you know, everybody said, or it's not everybody, but some people have said that they don't like that Bray Wyatt uh, has adopted this supernatural power. I mean, let's not forget, he had dozens of small children surrounding the ring and singing to John Cena wearing sheep masks. I don't think, character-wise, I don't think that character went out to a casting agent and found those kids, okay? That's supernatural, if you ask me. That's horror movie stuff. So the fact that there's a hologram coming out of a lantern does not, I, I don't feel like it's out of Bray Wyatt's character. But um, that was the main event. That was what closed the last pay-per-view is the interaction between Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt costing Dean Ambrose that Hell in a Cell match against Seth Rollins. Um, I think that this match will prove why they should have been on TV more because uh, I think this is going to tear the house down. I think this is another one of those scenarios where every time you see Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins together, you think these two must want to steal the show. I think there's no doubt about it. Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose are going to do everything that they can to steal the show. And the Survivor Series tag team match, Team Cena versus Team Authority. Uh, Team Authority has become Seth Rollins, Kane, Rusev, Mark Henry, and uh, Luke Harper. I love that. I like what they're doing with Luke Harper. Two champions on that team now. Um, I like that team against John Cena. Dolph Ziggler, Big Show, Eric Rowan, and Ryback. Um, I think that's a cool team. Uh, again, I'm a little worried about what happens with a good guy, Eric Rowan. I don't want him to fall into that trap that the Big Show has fallen into before of being too lovable and too goofy. Um, Dolph Ziggler, I'm sure, will be great. But I, I, I have super high expectations for that match. Now, on the line, the authorities' power of control over WWE if the authority loses, who takes over for the authority? That's been a question that's been asked on me on Twitter. Uh, it's definitely been a question that's floated around the ethos of the wrestling world. I would like to see 
here's the thing. If the authority were to lose, I don't think that it would be very long before they regained power. Maybe it would. Maybe I'm wrong. But something tells me that they would regain power pretty quickly, uh, which makes me think maybe it's not worth doing a big move, uh, putting somebody in that position. Some people on Twitter asked me, do you think Shane McMahon's going to come back? I do not think Shane McMahon will be back on television anytime soon. Uh, I have not heard from him or read anything that says he has any desire to be back in the wrestling business. But I would like to see uh, Ric Flair come back and take the role of authority. If John Cena's team is victorious over Team Authority, I would. I think it would be really cool, really interesting to see Ric Flair in a position of power uh, in the WWE character-wise. And I think it would be a cool setup to watch uh, Triple H feuding with Ric Flair Two former Evolution teammates over the power of WWE. So there you go. Survivor Series is this weekend. As I said, big thanks to 2K Games for helping get Seth Rollins on the podcast today. Uh, Another awesome guest next week, which you'll find out next week. In the meantime, I don't know how many of you realize this, but uh, WWE 2K15 came out this week. It's a great game. Highly recommend it. They made... Uh, two different versions of the game. One is the regular game. Even that. All I have is the regular game. It's fabulous. Some people were able to pre-order the special Hulkamania edition that uh, came with some bonus stuff. One of the things that was packaged with the Hulkamania edition of WWE 2K15 is a signed Hulk Hogan card. It's a full-color, glossy, classic Hulkamania Hulk Hogan And he signed a whole bunch of them. Every single one of them has a personally signed Hulk Hogan card. Can I tell you something? Hear that sound? Listen. You know what that is? Signed Hulk Hogan cards. 2K15 sent me a whole bunch of signed Hulk Hogan cards. And I want to give them to you. I'm going to give at least 10 to the listeners of this podcast. Maybe more. Um, If you want one of these personally autographed Hulk Hogan cards, and they really are really cool, Uh, you know what to do. Hashtag Sam Roberts has a wrestling podcast, and tweet me at NotSam, and you know what? Tweet at WWE Games and tell them thank you for this hookup. Write a question that you want answered here on the State of Wrestling on the podcast. Hashtag Sam Roberts has a wrestling podcast and at mention yours truly, not Sam, as well as WWE games. And uh, you can be a big winner of one of these awesome signed, personally autographed, real autographed, not printed. Hulk Hogan sat down with a silver Sharpie and signed all of these just for you. You can win one of the signed Hulk Hogan cards. I thank you all for listening. Remember, you can keep up with everything I'm doing at NotSam on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on uh, YouTube, everywhere, NotSam, NotSam.com. And we will see you. I will see you. You will hear me next week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.